Welcome to Inspired by Her, the podcast that will give you the inspiration, motivation, and tips for success from some of the top executives, CEOs, and influencers from around the globe. With your host, serial entrepreneur and named one of the most influential Filipina in the world, Kate Hancock. And we are live. Hi, everyone. This is Kate. It's nine o'clock in the morning, and I have here today Kate Morgan. Hi, Kate. Hi, Kate. Thanks so much. Yes, Kate and Kate, right? Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's a strong name, right? <laughs> yes, I love that name. Uh, Kate is the CEO of Boston Human Capital Partners. Now, Kate, can you tell me more about your company? Yeah, so I, and actually I have two companies. Mm. So the, but the, the one that makes me money, yes, is Boston Human Capital Partners. And it's a consulting firm that helps uh, early through high growth stage companies with their talent acquisition. So mm-hmm. we develop the strategies and the actual execution. Uh, so we're, we work as an embedded partner and to help those companies grow. Wow. Now bring me back to the time. Where did you grow up, Kate? Oh, so I grew up in it. Thank God for the Boston Marathon because otherwise no one would know about it, but mm-hmm. I grew 26 miles from Boston at in Hopkinton Mm -hmm. and uh, Hopkinton back in the day was this little cow town and um, every year we'd have these you know strange people that would suddenly put their jogging gear on and then run a marathon and so it was definitely a a hickish kind of town until the late 80s and then um, the late 80s software came in um, particularly EMC. And then all of a sudden my, uh, my, my Bodunk little town became this thriving, uh, very wealthy community. Wow. Wow. And, um, what kind of kid are you in high school? Uh, I was an absolute, uh, punk. (laughs) (laughs) I, I didn't play sports. Uh, I smoked cigarettes and drank, you know, stolen alcohol from my parents and my friend's parents. So yeah, (laughs) very, very different upbringing. Um, You know, I'm a nonconformist from the beginning, you know, from the, from the get go. Hmm. Is there anyone in your family that like run a business, any entrepreneurship? Uh, no. Um, well, actually, I shouldn't say that. So my, my family, uh, back in the day, actually, um, so these are my grandparents, were very successful. Um, so one of my, my uh, so my father's father basically had all of these um, uh, companies. So he had a salt mill, he had an ice mill, uh, he owned a huge cattle farm. Uh, my grand, uh, my mother's grandfather um, brought electricity to Wisconsin, hmm. and so there was all of this like true entrepreneurship. But for my immediate family, no, they 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 took the academic route. So my father is a professor. Uh, he was a he's retired now, but a professor of criminology now. My brother's a professor at Yale. Um, I I uh, did the exact opposite. Um, so again, nonconformist by, by nature, I, I actually, had dropped out of high school, dropped out of college. I am a serial dropout. Um, so, but you know, we have to pave our own way. 
Yeah. So how did you, how did your family handle that when knowing you drive out of high school and their professor? Tell me. Uh, not really well. Um, not at all, but we, so, so my, my upbringing was, was very different, um, in a, in a positive way. It wasn't, it wasn't easy. Um, but it was, um, it made me who I am today. Can you tell me that? Why is that not easy? Um, so, well, it, my, my parents, so my father's father, the one that had all the businesses, um, when my father was 11, uh, he killed himself. Oh, I'm sorry. And so, well, it's okay. I didn't know the guy. No. <laughs> but my, so my father had, um, he didn't really have a good sense of who, what parenting should be as a father, as there was no real example. And my mother, her mother was, you know, here she was this sort of wealthy heiress. Um, you know, her father had brought electricity, as I mentioned, you know, to Wisconsin. So she was, she was born in wealth and um, she had married young. And when my mom was six months old, her husband died of a heart attack. And so my, and my grandmother uh, was a crazy alcoholic. Um, really, really bad alcoholic. And so both of my parents really didn't have a lot of influence on how to parent. Mm -hmm. And so there I am sort of thrust into, you know, they, they wanted kids. They loved me. Um, but it, it was a very, very much a school of hard knocks growing up for me. Mm, I understand. Yeah. And, um, Describe a person or a situation from your childhood that had a profound effect on how the way how you look at life. You want the good or the bad? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, I think the 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 profound thing was I remember. I remember arguing, so I grew up on a, on a farm. So while my father was a professor, he really loved homesteading. Mm -hmm. And so matter of fact, they even published a book on how to basically live off the land for like, you know, they, it'd be a gentleman's farm now. Back then it was, you know, it was really um, how, how to, to sustain yourself. Mm -hmm. And so I remember being really frustrated with my father after picking beans for like half the morning. And I was complaining about it. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, when you grow up, you can be rich and you can, you know, live your life the way you want it. So seeing that challenge, that actually helped pave the way with, for how I view life is, you know, there's a challenge. I need to go after it. And that's how I, I, you know, I, I, if there's one thing I struggle with is enjoying the moment because it's already always about what's the next rung on the ladder. Mm -hmm. I gotcha. Now, how did you become an entrepreneur? Tell me, <laughs> what was that journey like? 
I was born an entrepreneur, right? Uh, I, so, so I always, I always make this very clear distinction that I think there are business owners and there are entrepreneurs. So business owners, you, you understand how to run a business. Entrepreneurs see problems and they create solutions. And um, so my, my journey really was from, from a, an early age. I remember um, I, I was like in third grade and I started a newspaper because I felt there was not enough newspapers to, uh, that people could really enjoy. And so I, you know, being on a farm, I loved animals. So it was all about animals and stuff. And uh, so that was like my first, but, you know, that, that extends into when I started uh, Boston HCP. So my company I've had for nine years, mm -hmm. um, I, I believe that there's really three reasons why you go into business. You, you do it for money. Um, you know, you, you do it for uh, ego, right? So a lot of, we see a lot of entrepreneurs that are like, their, their ego is, is really kind of invested into their idea mm -hmm. and others that just have a, a good idea, you know? So, so mine, mine is during the recession, I was oversubscribed with work. And so during that, I decided um, I, I couldn't refer work to people I, because I didn't think they operated at the same caliber. So I said, you know what, I'm just going to go ahead and I'm going to replicate myself. Because in a service-based or, or, you know, organization like myself, they need to expect the same level of service as you deliver. And I felt like I could develop the training and develop employees to replicate what I do. And that's what I did. Wow. So how much was your initial investment then? Was this you? Yeah, <laughs> I, I was very, very fortunate that I had some really good clients mm -hmm. that felt comfortable with me sort of incubating. And um, so I was in a company that was in high growth and I, I needed more help. And I said, I'd, I'd like to bring people on. So it was great. I had people that could actually shadow me. Um, and I, I started this concept. and. The, the important thing, if you're a service-based organization, um, it, it, it was never Kate and company. It was Boston Human Capital Partners. And the reason why that, that, that is so important is um, you have to have a playbook, a playbook that becomes replicatable as you go in from company to company. And fortunately, um, in the nine years that I've been operating, I haven't had to make a single outbound sales call everything we've done has been based on referral. Wow. <laughs> wow. Now tell me who was your first client. Do you still remember your first client? Oh, I do. And actually they, they went public and they were just acquired by VMware, but it was uh, back in the day, it was bit nine. And uh, then they changed their name to carbon black. It, it's a security software firm. They do uh, waitlisting product and, um, it, it was, you know, this is 2011 and um, they just trusted me and let me build out a team to support them 
and that was the really the the incubation of Boston HCP. Wow. Now, to what you do attribute to your success? Um, I think it, so. It's it's having this, you know, the the hedgehog theory. If you read business books, right, is mm-hmm. never. It's very easy to sort of get conned into trying something new, uh, maybe getting distracted, but you you have to build a concept and stick with it. Mm. You you can't be uh, fickle about it. You really have to um, feel very secure and then build a company that's going to be very structured on that platform because otherwise you're going to be building a house of house of sticks and you need to have solid foundation. Mm. Gotcha. Now, do you still remember that day when you reached your first million sale? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, you know why? Um, it, it's because it's, it's always, so if in life, if I was a dog, I'd be a border collie, right? Mm-hmm. It's like the job is never done. The job is never done. You can never sit back. You can never relax. And so, um, you know, even even going to uh, two million, it didn't really register. Um, it, it's more it's more about it's got to be tighter. It's got to be more meaningful. We have to have uh, always be improving. Mm-hmm. If we're not the best, because I'm a, I run a boutique. I, I never wanted to have a hundred person organization. I wanted to be um, thought of as the best of the best. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't require uh, hundreds of people. Wow. Now, so what do you look for in an employee? <laughs> you, you mentioned you're a boutique. You don't want to have a big employee. So tell me, what do you Yeah, Yeah. So we, when we talk about hiring and firing to our core values. Mm-hmm. We really do. So we developed five um, core values, which evolved into our culture. Mm. So we, and, and I mean, so we set up a rubric that would help to really suss out if they actually have all five core values. And when people are put on a plan, it's based on those core values. Because in, in a consulting firm, consultants uh, can look amazing when they have a great client or an easy client. When they have a hard client, they may not look as good. But if they're practi- what we found is if they're always practicing those five core values, it, it becomes um, something that is very sound. Mm-hmm. So, and then the culture, if everybody kind of has those those attributes to themselves we feel we have such a tight community particularly now because you know we're doing these uh daily huddles i unfortunately had to let go of my practice manager so we're our our you know small firm has become smaller and so we really have found that those values help us to have meaningful authentic um relationships Mm, yeah now, have you ever turned down a client? <laughs> All the time. <laughs> Very much. I, I'm, known, uh, I'm known for enjoying firing clients. There's, there's you know, this whole old sort of um, 
you know, they, they say, you'll love 80% of your clients. 80% of your clients will, you know, they'll, they'll be healthy relationship. It's a partnership. The other 20% are going to drive you nuts. Don't take them. Don't work with them. And so um, I remember working with a, a company that actually is doing very well now. And we had gone in early. They only had 25 employees and um, huge amount of funding, 60 million in funding. And we fired them. And six weeks later, they begged us to come back. And I said, if we're going to have this meeting, I really want to, I really want to sit down with all of the key stakeholders mm-hmm. and uh, make sure that we're all on the same page. And so I went in and I had six executives sitting there and I said, I am super happy to come back on board. I'll bring my team on and we're going to do really well with this, but you have to abide by our rules because right now you're in the, and I explained that 80, 20% split. And I'm like, you guys are in the 20% right now. I love your boldness. (laughs) (laughs) I am, I am 100% Boston. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I remember I used to have a boss and said, I grew up in Boston and I'm going to tell you as it is. And block. So you <laughs> yes. take it or you don't like it. You can leave. I, yeah, love yeah. <laughs> I actually learned so much from him. It is. It's funny because we actually have a client that's based in Singapore and I'm like, dial it down, dial it down. <laughs> Cause of course, you know, culture, and it, yeah. Think, yeah, culture has a big imp, uh, impact on your communication style. So being smart enough to, you know, uh, accommodate other communication styles. I get in trouble with that a lot in the Philippines. Culturally, I just don't fit. So I try to like, um, <laughs> lower, tone it down. <laughs> I learned a lot. Now, um, now, Kate, what have been the biggest challenge you've had to overcome? Oh, um, I think it's, you know, it's always interesting um, because I think there's, there's lots of challenges. Um, so uh, being, being a high school and college dropout in a city that is steeped in education, um, you know, and being able to, you know, basically I, I lied on my resume when I first went into the workforce Um you know, for, I'm, I'm blessed with a big vocabulary. So, and I'm a good writer. And so um, that I think helped me able to, to kind of lie through it. And software was such a big industry um, and it was so fast growing that they weren't checking, they weren't doing background checks at that time. And, um, and I still have to deal with that mm-hmm. on a daily basis because I always question um my intellectual abilities, um, you know, it's always going to feel like a sense of vulnerability for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But now, you know, no one even look at credentials anymore, right? They just look for talent. I look for someone that just has, you know, if you have a grit, then you're on board. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in range. So there, so even with, so if, for hiring my team, I, I look for range. I look for 
interesting people that seem comfortable in who they are, and they're going to have a diverse background. Um, I, I've, I've always been impressed with people that, um, you know, maybe they had a bad choice of degrees. Um, one of our top people that works for me, he was, he was a waiter. And I had, I had rented this room uh, for 10 of my closest friends. And he came in and it was like six course meal. And he came in and he would present the wine. And um, here he is sitting around, you know, there's 10 executives and we're laughing and drinking and everything. And he came in and he had this composure about him. And one thing I always have done is paid 100% of my employees' health care. Mm-hmm. And knowing that wait staff usually struggles with, you know, having to pay insurance, particularly in Massachusetts. So, you know, I said to him, um, you know, I'd love to talk to you. Um, and by the way, I pay 100% health care. So I'm a real company. I'm not charging, you know, a commission only kind of job. And he came in and I look now for those kind of people because of the experience I came in where I have, I have, you know, I have no pedigree. I have no pedigree. And that's okay because if you have a high emotional intelligence, you can go so far. Well, that's very true. You know what? I was, I can relate to you in that one because no one would hire me. I mean, I'm, no one would hire me, but it only takes that one boss that will give you a chance. And chances are you're going to do it to your company. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, one of my manager, my resort manager, she's actually a waitress of a small bar that I own and I develop her. And now she's the resort manager, the highest paying, um, what a what a fantastic story that is. You gave her an incredible break and a career path. That I mean, I I I think that's what as entrepreneurs we have to look at. We have to be able to give them that next. Maybe we can't paint it out, you know, step by step, but giving them a career path is so it's it's what we need to do for our own companies. That's how we grow. You are nothing without your human capital. Yes, absolutely. And she's my top performer and she does exactly what I do. And so basically I clone her and I develop her from being a waitress to, you know, everything can be learned, right? Yeah. You don't have to have a degree. You just give them the process and procedure and guide and they're yeah. the top performer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's, you know, because essentially what we do is recruiting. There's yeah. no degree in recruiting, no degree. So you know, but having range and high emotional intelligence helps them become super successful. Yeah. So basically my company, I hire everyone pretty much there where no one would ever hire them. So I have the best team. It's a lot of work for me, but in long term, I have the best results and loyal. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to the loyalty. loyalty. Loyalty is so, so critical particularly in these times where people are scared. They're really scared about what the future will bring. And so if, if you have that trust, you develop that, it, it can be super impactful. Yeah. I love, I love giving people chances because yeah. you know it, it, the return that you're getting, they're just, I mean, you can't buy loyalty. That just. No. And it's, it's intrinsically rewarding. Mm-hmm. 
Absolutely. Now, Kate, um, what's your typical day now? This totally. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Well, so, so my day is comprised of agility where I just have to, you know, be moving from place to place, but I start my day. um, I stretch for 35 minutes. Mm. I, I ground myself. I'm connected to the grounds. I'm doing yoga type stretches. Um, there's, there's, you know, I, I don't know if you have ever had anxiety, but with anxiety, they always say, if you're feeling anxious, plant your feet on the ground, mm-hmm. squarely on the ground, because um, it helps your body feel centered. So I t- start my day with 35 minutes doing stretching. And then I'm walking. I, I'm fortunate enough. I, I live on a golf course and it's a private golf course. And so nobody's on there, but I walk my dogs. And for the four mile um, horse walk, I'm, I'm out there for about an hour and 15 minutes. And that's processing. I'm listening to, I'm listening to your podcast (laughs) and I'm feeling, I'm looking for my inspiration because I'm going to start my day at nine 30 and I'm going to do it with um, uh, my team huddle. Mm -hmm. And I, we met through uh, the entrepreneurs organization. Um, and one of the things that, of course, we start with the forum is asking your know, one word opener. And I love doing that with my team because I know where they're at. The subtleties in their one word. And then um, we spend about a half an hour. And then the, the rest of the day is kind of frenetic. Uh, but I close the day with if I can wrap up early, I walk the course again or I'm cooking. I love to cook. It's my creative outlet. And it also signifies um, an opportunity for my, my daughter, who's a freshman at UW, she's home, and my husband, that we say, this is it, we're stopping our day, and we're going to uh, convene together. Uh, and that's really, really pow- powerful for me. Wow. Wow. So do you do grounding? Do you, I've heard that it's really good, too, with the energy. Like you just walk barefoot. I wish I could walk in the sand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, in Boston and on a golf course with a bunch of geese, I can't. I can't walk. <laughs> yeah. Now, Kate, what's the highest honor or award you've ever received? So I, I've received awards. Um, I was. Um, for Boston, I was the startup uh, advisor award, which was given out by VC, which I appreciated. Uh, I've won president club trips when I did work for people, but um, and it it's not to sound um, flip or uh, unappreciative, but I don't necessarily war- look at awards. I look at rewards. Mm-hmm. So I'm an equestrian. And so when I used to show horses, the horses that I would ride where I would do very well and get a higher level ribbon um, met very less to me than when I went in and rode a difficult horse. And it was a real challenge, but we got through it. And maybe we didn't get the highest award, but the reward was that I had worked with that horse. So again, not to, not to be unappreciative of the awards I have received, but I, I really do look at intrinsic reward over awards. 
understand. Now, tell me the times where you felt like you were a failure. <laughs> uh, daily. <laughs> you know, um, so I tend to be hypercritical. Um, this is, you know, so every night you have the DVR playing in your mind. And there was a conversation that maybe didn't go the way. Um, so I, I constantly sort of have these uh, nudges to always be improving myself. And I tend to be very hard on myself. Um, so it's hard to single out one thing. I mean, my, you know, if you, if you look at it, it could be a whole timeline of failure, right? I was, you know, high school dropout, college dropout, single mother, um, where there wasn't even a birth father on this, my daughter's birth certificate. Like all of these things could signify a failure, but ultimately those fa failures, I welcome them because I wouldn't be who I am today. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Well, you are a strong female and <laughs> I love talking to you. Like you just, you know, I'm just happy you're here. I'm happy to be here. Thank you so much. <laughs> now, uh, can, can you name a person who has had a tremendous impact on you as a leader? Yes. Um, so this is, this is a friend of mine. Um, and it will go back to actually, and it wasn't even like a, a she wasn't a leader herself. Um, but it, it has become my mantra. Uh, so when I was a single mom, my daughter was born August 26, 2001. I had the ultimate nesting. I bought a house before she was born because the, the baby stuff was totally throwing off my feng shui. And so I said, I'm going to go buy a house. So I bought this big three-bedroom house and then 9-11 hit. And I was uh, self-employed as a consultant. And all of a sudden I had no, no income. And my family had moved to New York, so I have nobody around, um, and I have this new baby. And I was really, really freaking out. And I called my friend, and I said, I, I'm at my wit's end. And she said one thing to me. She said, you got this. That has become, when anything becomes hard, I say, I got this because I, I'm, I'm a thinker. I'm a problem solver. I'll figure it out. It may not be eloquent. You know, I may be, you know, having to uh, uh, glue things together to try and make it work, but I got this. Wow. I love that. <laughs> I can tell. Um, now, Kate, what scares you the most in this current situation? I, I think what worries me about the, this whole thing is um, that people don't realize the mental, how, how uh, mentally challenging this is. Because, um, so I've been held up since my daughter came home from school March 9th. Their, their, her university was the first to go online. So I've been held up since March 9th because I wanted to make sure that Coming from Seattle, because that's where it landed, 
would I be okay with her? So I self-quarantine and I know that things will never be normal for a lot of people because um, we're probably going to walk, you know, it takes 30 days to develop a habit. Mm-hmm. And if we're already having these habits um, with washing hands and, you know, like, don't get me wrong, we all should be washing hands regardless, but I think there's going to be a lot of mental things that we have to get over for things to go back to normal. So people, when they keep talking about this uh, new normal, the new normal is going to have uh, threads of OCD tendencies and um, real challenges, particularly for for younger people and how that really impacts their psyche. Yeah, absolutely. Especially, you know, the millennials, they love you know, they love life for free and they have that much freedom and it is a struggle. Yeah. It's, it's changing. It's a complete paradigm shift for how millennials have lived. Millennials. Um, yeah. The, the, the one thing millennials didn't really have was the um, materialistic mm-hmm. side. You know, I think we saw Gen Xers, you know, particularly that grew up in the eighties, very materialistic, uh, extrinsic rewards. Millennials, um, you know, they, they didn't want for much except for going out to eat. So, which really helped the, yeah, the, the restaurant industry, the tr- tour and travel industry. Um, but now we're in, and they had helicopter parents that helped them cope through many things. And now they don't, they don't have the coping skills. And now we're, we're, weaving fear into um their everyday life absolutely yeah that's very true wow is your business impacted at all yeah yeah well so and and i talked about boston hcp but i i started a second company uh, that i launched over the winter um and so that company is actually uh it's basically sort of um, Tupperware parties for the can of curious. Mm. So very socially focused, uh, educating particularly women, 45 years and older about cannabis and how to use cannabis, um, medicinally and, um, making it very like a, a fun informational experience. And then we would take them to a dispensary. Well, we can't do that because we, you know, social distancing and you can't take them to restaurants. You can't take them to dispensaries. So that actually, that business actually had to be put on hold completely. Mm-hmm. Boston HCP has been impacted when this first started going down. Uh, by mid-March, we had lost four clients. And then subsequently, every week, we've lost a client. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very, it's a difficult time. I mean, both of my business are shut down. So I, yeah, that's because hospital, anything, how, and how do you, how do you recover from that? Mm -hmm. Even, even on an emotional level, forget the the finance stuff. It's how, how do you rethink yourself? Yeah. At least for uh, Boston ACP, I'm pivoting and doing things a little differently than we typically would. Mm-hmm. Um, and that helps us get through. But for your industries, that you're, you're gridlocked. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's and especially here in California, the rent's so high and oh my god, I probably won't be able to open until next year. But that's wow, it's very tough. Yeah. 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 Still, my my heart goes out to you. I'm still dealing with the landlord. They still want me to charge me rent. I was like close. Yeah. So it's a very difficult decision to make in the next few weeks. And yeah. yeah. Now, Kate, what have been the most influential experiences in your life? Hmm. Um, so, so I am a strong person <laughs> and um, I met my husband when I, when my daughter was nine months old and I had landed a consulting gig and it was with this really early stage company. And he, he started kind of like flirting with me, but he's, he's software engineer. So he's kind of geeky. So (laughs) it was very subtle and he kept asking me out and um, I kept saying, no, no, I, you know, like, and finally I said, you know what, fine, you, you can take me to dinner, but my daughter's coming. And so we did that and it was a Thursday night. It wasn't really a date. It was just friends. That's how I was thinking about it. But I was also super broke. So I ordered lots of food so I could take the leftovers home. (laughs) And what was the most, what became so influential about that moment was after doing this for about two months, we were out and my daughter, um, you know, at this time she's 11 months old. So she's getting a lot more active and she couldn't sit still during dinner. So it was like kind of getting complicated. And in my mind, I was thinking, this is the last time I'm going out in public with my daughter. (laughs) And my husband, again, we weren't really dating, but he looks at me and he said, did you ever read a girlfriend's guide to pregnancy? And Anybody who's pregnant, if you have friends that are getting pregnant, get this book. It's sort of like um, Dr. Spock's manual if your girlfriend wrote it. So <laughs> it's, it's gritty, it's raw, it's very real parenting for babies kind of book. And I, you know, I looked at him, I said, well, I did. I, that, was, that was my book while I was pregnant. Like it meant so much to me. I, I said, how did, how did you know about that? And he said, I wanted to know what it was like when you were pregnant. Mm. I was like, here's my heart. (laughs) Because at all this time for my entire life, 28 years, I was raised to not be vulnerable, not, not, not be that person. And it like became so influential in the fact that here's a here's a person that took the time Mm -hmm. even with this hard shell that I have to figure out how to poke a hole in it yeah wow that is a (laughs) that is a really good story that is a wow (laughs) he's so persistent yeah he was He was, he was, and he cracked the shell and yeah. (laughs) Wow. Now, Kate, if you could do it all over again, would you do the same thing? Why or why not? Ah, 
Oh, that's a that's a great question. So um, if if I could, I mean, I would never change who I am today. But I do, I, I've always wondered, like, if I was given a second life, and I like thinking of it as a second life, as opposed to doing something over again, if I had a second life, um, I, I would have been, I would have pursued a medical degree. I, I really, um, I was a veterinarian technician for a while, for like five years, enjoyed, um, enjoyed that immensely. And yeah, so my next life, my next life, I'll be bad. <laughs> it's so open, right? We, we might all change career in the next year. <laughs> and, um, what would be, what advice would you give to any aspiring entrepreneurs? Um, try and fix problems. Do it to solve a real problem. Don't ever look for money. If it's, if it's a tough enough problem and you have a, a, a really good solution, you will be successful. Now, Kate, how do you want to be remembered? <laughs> um, I always, I always tell people like I, on my epitaph, you know, do something funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I really, I really live for wit. Um, but I guess I want people to remember me as um, that I help them, that I grew them, that they're thankful for anything that maybe I, I did for them. Wow. Wow. Okay. Where can they find you? I had so much fun talking to you. I want to do another session with you. <laughs> <laughs> this is wonderful. I mean, I remember meeting you in Greece and my daughter was with me, of course. And- yeah. I remember your daughter. <laughs> yes. We were in that outdoor happy hour. In- <laughs> I think you guys were the very first, person I met in that yeah yeah (laughs) so yeah yeah no that was wonderful so definitely hope to see you at another uh, women's EO event (laughs) absolutely so what's your handle where can they find you um so obviously bostonhcp.com is our website um you can track me at Kate Morgan on LinkedIn uh always welcome Facebook um Kate Morgan obviously um, and then also uh, live Lilium if you are kind of curious about how you can use marijuana for anxiety or anything like that. Uh, it's just livelilium.com. Well, thank you so much, Kate. I'm so honored to have you here. This has been a pleasure for me. I really enjoyed this. I enjoyed it. Thank you so much and hope to see you soon. Maybe in Bali next year. Yes, yeah. I would love that. <laughs> All right, Kate, to you. Yes, have a good day and tell your daughter I said hello. I will. I will. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye. We hope you enjoyed the show. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. And visit katehancock.com so you don't miss out on the next episode. <laughs>